Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and just an update on that story that we carried yesterday when we spoke with uh, Patrick Murphy of the fishermen from West Cork and what's expected to happen in the seas off the south coast of Ireland starting next week. The Department of Transport have now issued a marine notice and they're advising all seafarers that the Russian Navy will carry out these manoeuvres and the manoeuvres will start from this day next Next week, Thursday, the 3rd of February, and the Russians are saying they're expecting to be in the area with their military manoeuvres for five days. The Russian Federation has advised the exercises will include naval, artillery and the launching of rockets. God, it sounds so frightening, doesn't it? The Department of Transport said it's been advised of the exercise by the Irish Aviation Authority and they, of course, were the ones who were contacted by the Russian Federation. So this notice now that has been given, this maritime notice that has been given, it details the location of the activity and it also advises that given the nature of these planned military exercises and the presence of the naval forces, that the vessel are of, of crews are advised of serious safety risks in the operation area and they say they should avoid the area. They're not telling them not to go to the area but they're saying look serious safety concerns in this particular area of the seas you should avoid. And then it goes on to remind mariners of the responsibility under international maritime uh, law. Now as we know these exercises have been criticised by the government. They say they're not welcome. We've been speaking on this programme about the damage that it will do to uh, marine life and the knock-on effect it could have for our Irish uh, fishermen and the the exercises will be taking place in international waters but they are within Ireland's exclusive economic zone but the fact that they're in international waters the Irish government we don't have any powers to say go away all we can say is we don't want you here please go away but we can't force them out of the uh, area and the Irish fishermen of course they're calling for the for the Russians to please stay away from the waters because these are waters that the Irish boats uh, you, uh, the Irish boats use for fishing and of course as we outlined on the programme they are considering plans to uh, protest it was Patrick Murphy he's the Chief Executive Officer of the Irish South and West Fish Producers or Organisation and 
I, I see online this morning that he's saying that the department's notice, which has now been issued, he's calling that notice a disgrace. He continues to say that their fisher tr- fishing trawlers are going to be in the area. And this is weather permitting. And it'll be from the 1st of February because the 1st of February is when the prawn quota open. So from that day they're entitled to be in that area fishing for uh, prawns. And Patrick is quoted as saying if they come in contact with us it is them who are endangering the Irish boats by their actions. Patrick says the notice doesn't order them off the ground but it does bring the validity of their boat's insurance into question and their members are now being advised to check that with insurers and that may actually stop that planned uh, protest and we wish nothing but luck to Patrick and the rest of the representatives of the fishing uh, industry because they've been invited to meet with the Russian ambassador in uh, Dublin this morning where they're hoping to discuss their concerns. Patrick told us that they want to discuss the concerns about the potential impact of this live military exercise on fish stocks uh, and on other marine life and the possible disturbance to prawn fishing from the live ammunition drills in the area during the exercise. Patrick says he'll explain to the ambassador that they intend to abide by the laws of the sea and to continue to fish in the uh, area where the Russians plan to conduct the exercise and they're hoping by being in the area that will stop the Russians from doing any of the exercises. So if they do decide to go out to sea, my God, uh, we'll all be wishing them the best of, of luck and hope that they all stay safe but we particularly wish them luck uh, and to see how they'll get on with the Russian ambassador what a major coup that would be if the, a group of Irish fishermen could, ex- could persuade the Russian ambassador to Ireland to get on to the Kremlin and to say back off lads and please don't have the these exercises in waters off Ireland so that particular story continues to uh, rumble on and it, it does look like the Russians are not for uh, turning and there was already evidence of the boats already heading out and heading to that area off the coast, the south coast of uh, Ireland. 0818 103 103 and as what can be seen as certainly a good news story for the post office at network is the news now that the payment of job seekers allowance is going to return to the post office. Now this obviously is all in line with the easing of the COVID-19 uh, restrictions and this was an announcement that has been made by the Social Protection Minister uh, Heather Humphreys. Now the initial changes that are going to come in will apply only to new job seeker applicants but she said that it will extend to other job seekers over the coming months. I don't know how job seekers will feel about that having to actually go to the post office to pick up their weekly uh, payment but Heather Humphreys uh, said straight away that it will create more business for our post office uh, branches but there's also an added bonus in that it will help to tackle social welfare fraud as the individuals themselves will have to present at the local uh, post office. When public health restrictions, of course, were introduced uh, back in 2020, people in receipt of social welfare were then given the option of having the money paid into their bank uh, account. And, you know, it was an exceptional measure, but it was done at the time. They were trying to lessen the footfall of people going into post offices. You know, we were all into social distancing and people were, you know, told to stay at home where possible. So it was seen as a a good uh, move. But, um, But obviously the downside 
then was post offices were losing business. So anything that brings footfall back into post offices has got to be uh, welcomed. But the other real advantage is this notion of people coming in in present, in, in person and actually having to pick up their social welfare, their job seekers uh, allowance uh, because there has been a lot of media reports of incidents where people were collecting their payment and they weren't actually even living in uh, the country. So Heather Humphrey says you must present to your post office to get your payment and she said what she wants to see is the right payment to the right person at the right uh, time. Uh, However, she said the majority of people who receive social welfare payments obviously deserve it. It's a small proportion of people who will decide to get involved in uh, fraud. Uh, Heather Humphrey said that those who try to commit fraud in the system simply wrong. She said she explained that there is a special investigation unit and they continue to follow up on reports that they get from the uh, republic from the members of the public or they get reports in from employers who are suspicious that somebody may be signing on at uh, the same time and they, she said they work very closely with the Gardaí and there's been quite a number of people caught that shouldn't have been claiming benefits and they continue to pursue them and try to get their uh, money back but certainly it's a good news story for the post office network and I saw Ned O'Hara who we've spoken with many times on the programme he is the Irish Postmasters Union General uh, Secretary uh, he said the change was just one of a number of small steps that must be made to try to support post offices and try to secure the network's future and with so many of our banks closing the last financial institution standing in many towns and villages uh, is the local post office and and we all know how important the post offices has been and I think certainly during the pandemic we saw, during Covid times we saw how important the post offices were and they remained open and they provided like vital services to to people. But Ned O'Hara is also using the opportunity to say look, you need to look the government need to look at the post office network They they need to try and allow them to provide more services but they also need to look at how our postmasters and postmistresses are paid. He reckons there should be a contract fee as opposed to being paid per transaction which is the way it is at the moment and by being paid by transaction the smaller post offices very very hard hard to keep them economically uh, viable but for all new people applying for job seekers they'll have to go in in person to the post office before eventually it'll be all of the job seekers in the coming months will be going back to the post office uh, to pick up their uh, payment and you know I think she you know Heather Humphreys is right when she says look the right payment to the right person at the right time and the majority of people do receive social who do receive social welfare uh, deserve it but certainly there was one or two men should I say who were trying to looks like they were trying to fraudulently get a social welfare payment that didn't belong to them and that of course is that shocking case I think that the entire country were you know your jaw your jaw dropped when you heard about the story coming out of Carlo last Friday of these two men who attempted to collect a dead man's uh, pension in uh, Carlo town last week. It seems that they had initially gone into the post office or one of the men had gone into the post office and they were they refused to hand over this gentleman's old age pension. They said he must come in, in uh, the recipient must be there in person and then an hour, a couple of hours later, these two men arrive carrying this 66-year-old man who 
seemingly from the staff, it was very obvious the man had passed away. It was just such a shocking case. And I just see on an update on that story that Gardaí in Carlo have now charged a man in connection with that attempt to collect a dead man's pension in the town uh, last uh, week. One man was released last night, but the other man was charged and is due before Kilkenny District Court uh, this morning. Finburn Skull says, sure, don't the French and the English Navy, don't they have war practice and run similar exercises off the Irish coast? Don't they do that a lot? We never hear anything about that. What's all the talk about the Russians? Irish boats will probably be inside anyway, as they will have no quota. Well, they will because the prawn quota is opening up on the 1st of February and that's exactly in the waters that they need uh, to be in. But I suppose there's so much talk about the Russian ships because what's going on in the Russian-Ukraine situation, Finbar. But thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And Dennis wants us, in Charleville, wants us to look into something for him. He said, for over a month now, the traffic lights near Aldi and Holy Cross Place in Charleville are covered up with the notice simply saying out of order. It's now a full month and no work has been done to fix them. Could you please try to find out what is the reason for it, says Dennis. OK, we'll see if we can get an update on that and why a set of traffic lights with a notice up saying they're out of order, why it would take a month. Maybe they're waiting on a part. I don't know. We'll see if we can find out for you. Thank you for your text. Dennis to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Yesterday, the Irish Medical Organisation outlined to the Joint Directors Committee on Health the serious issues around GP capacity in this country and the impact that it will have for patients. Uh, joining me is uh, D- Dr. Madeline Nee Dalek of the IMO GP uh, Committee. Good morning to you, Madeline. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. I suppose just to outline for, for listeners, what is the current situation around the numbers of GPs working at the moment? So at the moment, uh, there are 2,500 GPs who hold GMS contract and there is a further 500 who uh, provide other state contracts such as childhood immunisations and mother and infant scheme. Uh, but as uh, time has gone on, we have an increasing number of GPs who are due to retire and uh, we have an increasing population and an ageing population and so capacity um, has, has not increased as uh, demand has increased. Because yeah, I, I saw one of the figures that your group put forward uh, yesterday that there's less than one GP for every thousand of the population, and seemingly by the HSE's own figure, that should be one that should be up to one thousand six hundred and sixty more GPs. So, are are there any sign of GPs coming up? Are they being trained? So there has been an increased intake in uh, taking on GP trainees. However, it isn't at the pace that is required. Uh, this is multifactorial and uh, it's to do with um, training places in hospitals and uh, also the amount of medical students that are coming through. Do you worry uh, about burnout with the existing GPs? There's a huge problem with burnout um, and the risk of burnout is, is, very, is very high, particularly after the two years that we've just come through. 
Uh, I think that we really need to encourage our young uh, GPs who are coming out of training schemes to take on partnerships. There is a reluctance to, to do so. I'm a trainer in the Banisloe Vocational Training Scheme and General Practice. and I, So we would have young GPs joining us each year in the practice. And you can see that there is a reluctance for them to take on partnerships or set up practice. This is seen in the historical sense, so in 2009 when Dempsey imposed really savage cuts on GP services. So not on GP salaries, on the services that we were providing, there was over a 40% cut to the services. Now that is being unwound now after negotiations, the IMO and the government. But unfortunately, these young doctors and they were citizens of the state saw how hollowed out GP services were at the time. And it has led to a deep insecurity now among them to take on the financial risk of setting up a practice um, or or joining a partnership. So one of the things the IMO have asked uh, yesterday at the ROCS meeting is that that setting up in GP looks somewhat like uh, any other business where the IDA offers support to our business colleagues that we need to look at that for our young GP colleagues to give to offer grants in terms of startup uh, premises tax relief on equipment and uh, you know looking at subsidies for hiring staff as well we have subsidies at the moment but they're very inflexible so we need more flexibility around that because we really do need to encourage our young GPs to take on uh, these partnership roles. So a little bit like if there are new businesses coming in, the IDA move in with supports. Yes, so we could, I'm sure the HSE absolutely could look at something like that, the IMO, to um, really, really support our young GPs. Because remember, now, and unlike years ago, many GP medical students coming out now will have a lot of debt or personal debt from college fees, etc. They're also coming out um, at a time where they may be starting families, maybe taking on personal mortgages. If you add that to trying to set up a practice, you could be looking at, at, at going to the bank for, you know, in and around a million euros. And that's just not, um, no bank is going to look at mm. that. Mm. Uh, so we really do we're really serious about continuing because we have a history of great GP services in this country we should we're very proud of them but we need to keep encouraging young people or we're going to face a very bleak future in general practice Do we also need to look at uh, we hear a lot about young doctors going abroad uh, the great incentives to go abroad for you know pay but conditions seem to be better in other countries and that's the thing, you know, that's why I think if we really, the conditions are something that, that the, the grants and the subsidies and that would definitely help. And it would also, if the more people that we can get to take on partnerships and principal roles, then the conditions will improve because if, if the more people to share the workload, the better. The co-op um, situation as well at the moment is is quite fragmented throughout the country so uh, we need to look at that as well because we need to have a root and branch review of the co-ops because it is something that the young doctors are um, reluctant to take on and it's absolutely understandable. Is that the out-of-hours service? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. That, that does seem to be under uh, huge pressure. And mm. I was reading in the paper this morning something like 700 older GPs are due to retire in mm. the next 10 years. I mean, if we have a problem now, it is just going to get so much worse in the next 10 years. It is. And so we've really 
hope if if those conditions improve, if the HSC are really serious about it, they can do this. They can um, turn this around. We saw how dynamic the HSC can be during the pandemic. They, uh, for instance, we had a clinical hub set up next door to our practice here in the primary care centre, and that was turned around within 10 to 14 days. So when there is a will there, they do make things happen. And I really would ask them to look at this seriously because uh, we need to try and attract home our GPs who have emigrated and we need to retain the GPs that we're training. Okay, how stressful, uh, Madeline, has the pandemic been on GPs? It's been really stressful. You know, I suppose in one sense we were very proud of how we were able to uh, respond in a really dynamic way and we turned on a sixpence. We changed practice overnight um, to try and look after, keep our staff safe and keep our patients safe and looked after. But the cost in terms of um, the stress that that is brought on, you know, is significant. And a lot of our, of my colleagues have been unable to take holidays because there's no um, locum. So, uh, and uh, because what we very often re- relied locums coming, for instance, from South Africa, but of course, with the pandemic, that wasn't happening. So there's a lot of GPs around the country who are really, really um, in need of a break. Um, and certainly maternity leave as well has been uh, difficult for, for some of our female colleagues to take maternity leave because of the lack of locum. So the pandemic has brought lots of extra pressure to an already strained system. OK, and yet we've got the government, you know, making all kinds of promises about extending free GP uh, care, which would only obviously put, just put additional pressure on the GPs that are already there. Free GP care, uh, universal care is something I suppose we should aspire to and I think in in any um, developed country. However, there's no point in giving uh, free at the point of access GP care if there's nowhere to refer patients and we don't have access to diagnostics and we have to create waiting lists for two or three weeks as they have done in the NHS. Uh, so I think actually looking at structured care where we where it's evidence based, we're looking after people with chronic disease, looking after young people who who need care and that that is properly resourced. That is something that I think uh, should be looked at before we uh, just open up uh, free GKP care to another cohort. Uh, the last thing we need is um, waiting lists in general practice. We're seeing now that GPs aren't able to see patients on the same day anymore. And that was something we did for years and years. And now there's a few days waiting, but we really don't want that to get anywhere. And it's something I think all GPs are very proud of, the fact if you were you woke up weren't feeling well, you'd get an appointment that day and you'd yeah. go in and, and, and you'd see your GP. And yeah. there is very compelling evidence. I know it's coming from the UK, but it is uh, showing that the more GPs you have per head of population, it's associated with fewer hospital admissions for both acute and chronic illnesses. And all evidence shows that care in the community is good for patients. But in order to deliver, to have that care in the community, we need the GPs. Yes, absolutely. And we do know that um, when GPs are properly resourced, we in the past when we've been resourced, um, particularly with chronic disease management, we've already seen the benefits of that. And that's only up and running, I think, for two years now. Yeah. OK, listen, you, you do amazing work all over the country and uh, hopefully this situation will get sorted out. Did, did you feel you got a good hearing yesterday, Madeline? 
I really did. I think uh, they they listened, the TDs and senators listened to us and they asked really uh, pertinent questions about how we are have coped and how we envisage um, trying to mitigate this uh, capacity issue. Um, so I'm really hoping that uh, they were listening and that the HSC will look at, at very practical solutions the IMO have given them and, and that co- could be turned around overnight, absolutely. Okay, and just I don't know if you can answer this or not, but I can see a couple of calls coming in from listeners who are desperately trying to get on to uh, a GP to, to register with a GP. People say new to, new to the area and they're finding they're ringing GP practices. They're saying, sorry, we're full. What does somebody do in a situation like that if you move to an area? To register with a GP? It's really difficult. You might have to look further afield and see if there's any practices that maybe not within your your very local um, area, like in your five, you might have to go to a more 10 mile radius or 15 mile uh, radius uh, to practices that are hopefully taking on new patients. But it is a problem right across the country. It's even locally here in Roscommon. Uh, there are some practices who just simply can't safely take on new patients um, and have, have closed their list. But, you know, we can't, even though it's really difficult from the patient's point of view, it's unsafe for GPs to continue taking on uh, numbers if they're unable to provide the care. So, again, HSC really need to listen. We have sounded this alarm for many, many years and we knew FEMPI was going to cause um, difficulty in terms of recruitment. Uh, And luckily that is being unwound now, but took a long time. Yeah, yeah, and that puts the additional pressure on the out-of-hours service then because if you don't have a GP, you've no other option then if you're unwell but to wait until six o'clock and ring the out-of-hours service. Mm. Yeah, and that's then as a crazy on effect. Just crazy. All right, listen, Madeline, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And I really appreciate it because I know how busy you are. You're taking time out to talk to us today. (laughs) Thanks for that. Uh, Bye bye. That is Dr. Madeline Nidolik, who is with the IMOGP uh, committee. And she was part of that uh, delegation that went to the Joint Directors Committee on Health uh, yesterday. Some of the people talking about the problems they're having. This is actually accessing, trying to register with a GP. Ken is in Bishopstown. He moved from Waterford to Cork back in 2019. So this wasn't, this isn't, and this is, you know, something I think listening to Madeline, this isn't a problem that's just happened uh, overnight. Anyway, when he moved from Waterford in 2019, he had a condition that required repeat prescriptions that he obviously was getting from his GP. But the fact he's moving from Waterford, said I'll just register with a new doctor in uh, Cork in order to continue the treatment that he required for this ongoing uh, uh, illness. But he said it was only when he arrived in Cork he realised he had a bit of a problem. Problem. He had to. He was ringing around every single practice on the south side of Cork City to be told, "Sorry, we're not taking on new uh, patients." Uh, some of the practices said, "If it's an absolute emergency, we'll see you, but we're not registering new uh, patients." Uh, Ken said, "Every practice he called, the people were very, very courteous on the phone, and they explained, sorry, we're just full to capacity.'" Uh, Ken says, "It is a big problem for people who move in, particularly who move into an urban uh, area." And Ursula in Grenada says she was originally from Yall. She has been searching for a GP for the last four years in her area. She's eventually managed to get one close by. But up to now, for the last four years, every time she needed to access a doctor, she had to go back to her hometown of uh, Yall. She also knows the people who are living in areas like Whitechurch who are travelling to Yall to access a GP as there are simply none available. And Ian in Formoy says, can we 
not set up new practices. We have seen these new primary healthcare centres springing up all over the place. Surely that would entice young doctors to work in these uh, centres or have we a shortage of new doctors coming through? Well, if you listened to Madeline, that's exactly what she was saying. It is hard to encourage the young doctors coming up because they are seeing the stress levels that's attached uh, to the job and also it's a costly it's a costly experience to set up a practice. You end up acquiring a load of debt and if you've just come out of college many, many students, young doctors can come out of college and they can be up to €100,000 in debt and if you're asking them to set up a practice and the costs that are involved uh, with that that's why she was saying they need to come up with some kind of tax relief uh, in the same way that the IDA will support a new business. That's not there at the moment. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 with Jean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleena Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. For C103 photos, videos and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. As we were reporting on our news bulletins yesterday, campaigners better maternity... Care. We're meeting with the HSE in the hope of removing all of the remaining COVID restrictions from our maternity hospitals and units. Linda Kenny of the Cork-based Better Maternity Care joins me uh, to outline how they got on. Good morning to you, Linda. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you were hoping that there would be a complete relax- relaxation of all of the restrictions at maternity hospitals. What did you hear yesterday? What we heard is while that's the goal for the HSE, it's not going to happen in the immediate future. Um, And so I think we would have hoped yesterday that we would have had some definitive dates, you know, timelines of when uh, the remaining restrictions were going to be lifted. And what we heard is that there's still significant pressure in the healthcare system, particularly in the area of staff absences. And so the HSE are going to work this through over the next month with the view to kind of having substantial changes, probably in line with the next review of guidelines, which is toward the end of February. Um, and it's disappointing because this has been on the agenda with the HSE for quite some time. We had significant progress on the restrictions before Christmas, and they knew at that stage in, you know, kind of November time that antenatal clinics were something that we really needed to look at. And so it's very disappointing now to be in a situation where, you know, the rest of the restrictions have been relaxed but we're still in this uh, sort of waiting game around the antenatal clinics. And when you heard the Taoiseach make that announcement about the removal of nearly all of the restrictions last Friday week did you was there sort of a sense of hope this is the beginning of the end now for the maternity restrictions? 
Not really, if I'm honest, Patricia, because every single time the Taoiseach has made one of those announcements, there's never been any mention of maternity. There's never been any prioritisation of the government. So I think, you know, once bitten, twice shy. And we certainly, um, you know, knew that we'd have to have this conversation again with the HSE um, and keep going um, with it. And just to remind listeners, uh, how much access can a partner give to support their, their pregnant uh, partner? How, what are the restrictions at the moment? So at the moment, um, all antenatal appointments are restricted with the exception of the 12-week and the 20-week scan. Um, and then, you know, the, the progress we made before Christmas was um, there's pretty positive access. And when I mean that, I mean pre-pandemic access um, in their labour delivery suites um, for inductions and visiting access in terms of ward visiting for antenatal wards and postnatal wards have moved back pretty much to pre-pandemic access. So it has significantly improved. There's no denying that. Um, but it is still particularly, you know, we now are getting contacted by families who this is their second or third time using maternity services during the pandemic. For people who've had previous pregnancy loss, people who are going through a fertility journey, every single appointment is important and it can be a moment of extreme anxiety and to have to go to those on your own to be able to take in all the information that's being presented to you is very very difficult um, and so you know we really did urge the HSE yesterday even as an interim measure that they would make it available on request that when people made requests the director of midwifery in the hospitals they would be facilitated to have a partner attend because it's, it's different for every couple who's going Going through this journey. Um, for some people, it's a very happy, joyous time, and because of work arrangements or whatever, people are happy to go to antenatal appointments on their own. Other people are not. Um, it's a time of huge anxiety and worry. We know COVID is a risk to pregnant women, and so it's really, really important now that we have the support system back in place for women as we exit this pandemic. Yeah, and I think particularly, as you mentioned, for the people who have uh, the the women who have had a pregnancy loss in the past, and you know, pregnant again, and the nervousness that's associated with with that, that I think that request for somebody to you know write in, email in, outlining their case, and what what does the HSC say to that on individual requests? So they've said that they believe that's covered by the current guidelines, and um, but we know that in certain instances it's not being those requests aren't being granted. And um, so we have asked that as an interim basis that they would look at making that an explicit requirement for hospitals, and and they they did undertake to look at that and to review it. So we'll know more in the kind of next week to ten days if they're going to implement that. And um, but really now it's the end of February is when they're saying this is really when there's going to be another significant policy change um, and they were referring there to the general guidelines as well. I think there's a statutory instrument about mask wearing that is due to lapse at that time. They're looking at schools at that time and so I'm very hopeful that you know at that point we'll have something more concrete but disappointing that we don't have it today. Okay and since you set up the campaign Linda, have you heard some heartbreaking stories? From from women and every single day, every, every day, every every day, every morning, I wake up to messages, 
Um, we've had at this stage thousands of families contact us yesterday you know very distressing um, case of you know somebody going through fertility journey and really feeling that their partner isn't allowed access to the antenatal appointments um, you know stories around pregnancy loss you know even though pregnancy loss is now meant to be covered under the guidelines only yesterday I saw somebody um, on social media talking about how their partner had been refused access in the rotunda by security guards. Um, and so there's this ongoing issue around communication even in hospitals where people are being told one thing at um, you know, antenatal clinics, another thing on the ward, another thing by security guards and it's really, really distressing for people and it's something, again, we've brought it up at every meeting with the HSE you know, hospitals really need to get a handle on that because it is causing absolute distress. Like, there have been so many messages where people have said, oh, you know, I've been told my partner can only come to this and I'd have to go back and say, actually, I believe that's incorrect. This is what we've agreed with the HSC. This is what's in the national guidelines. Please contact this person. And inevitably, what they were told was wrong. Um, in some instances, people are getting letters to say attend alone to your 12-week or 20-week scan, and that's not the guidelines at all. Um, so it's very difficult at the moment for anybody navigating maternity services. It's fraught with uncertainty um, and anxiety and distress. And I think what's really important now is that we get back to a situation where women don't feel isolated in these services and where they have a high level of trust again in these services. And the HSE needs to meet us halfway on that by getting these guidelines up and running sooner rather than later. Well, it seems desperately frustrating when the rest of society is opening up, uh, Linda, and the same is not being afforded uh, in maternity services. Yep, yep, perennially yeah. frustrated is kind of my mood, Patricia. <laughs> so, but we persevere, you know. That's the only thing that you can do because if we don't, nothing will change. Okay, but so, we've already made so much progress. So yeah. we're going until we're out of this. Yeah, somebody's making the point, but are not are hospitals not still seeing patients presenting with COVID? Is surely it's a health and safety issue for patients and for the staff? And that will continue to be the case for the future. So this is where we're in this transition in the healthcare service, whereby COVID and protections against COVID are going to start forming the general infection prevention control procedures in a hospital. It has never been the case before in hospitals that, you know, there's blanket bans on access for nominated support partners. And, you know, we're talking today about maternity, Patricia, but it's even worse in the general hospital setting. You know, I know we've experienced it in my family. I know many families have experienced, you know, particularly a parent or an elderly person going into hospital and somebody not being able to visit that person for weeks. That has huge psychosocial impacts. It has huge impacts on their recovery. And it can't be the situation that we simply keep people locked out of healthcare. We have to have a balance going forward. And I think to be fair to the HSC yesterday, that is something that they are hoping to get to, but it's going to take them longer than maybe the general public would like. Okay, keep campaigning. You're a mighty woman, uh, Linda. And we thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Linda Kenny there of the Cork-based Better Maternity Care. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I mentioned earlier that the Social Protection Minister, Hem- Hem- 
Heather Humphreys made an announcement yesterday of the payment of job seekers allowance will return to the post office and the double whammy is that it gives extra footfall into our post office and network but also there is the hope that it will tackle social welfare fraud as individuals will have to present at the local post office in person. Somebody has texted in saying Hi Patricia, does, does job seekers benefit? Will that also be have to be picked up at the post office? I, I, I don't know because what was announced yesterday was that the changes will initially apply to all new job seeker applicants before being extended to other job seekers over the coming months. So do we take it from that that all job seeker payments within the coming months will return to the post uh, post office? I would say yes, but there's been no definitive date given on it yet. So if you are currently, I take it, either you or household, somebody in your household is drawing job seekers benefit at the moment you can assume that it's going to get paid into the bank as at normal for now because the changes are initially only applying to new applicants but if we get any more on that we certainly will bring it uh, to you. On the GPs and we were talking with in the last hour about that Oireachtas Health Committee meeting yesterday who heard from GPs all over the country just about it's a very, very dangerous situation going forward if we do not do something about the capacity of GPs at the moment. We've got a number of them are due to retire in the next uh, 10 years and there's a big problem trying to encourage the younger doctors coming out of University, trying to get them to look at GP practice as a way forward for their career and we need to we really need to do something about it because we already seem to be a crisis point in some areas. I mean I couldn't get over when we started doing the interviews the number of calls we were getting in from people who were saying just you know here in Cork in our own area the number of people saying they're having difficulty trying to register with a GP and it just must be an absolute nightmare if you move to an, a new area and if you're moving particularly to some maybe some of the urban uh, areas or the city centre areas Areas and trying to find a GP practice that's already full to capacity. It really is proving to be a big, big problem at the moment. And that's why the Irish Medical Organisation, the Irish College of General Practitioners, they were all involved uh, yesterday. And they just went in to say, look, guys, you need to take a look at this. The government needs to take a look at this. They need to do something about it. Some of your comments on that. And that then led to me talking about how busy and the role the GPs played during the uh, pandemic. Pat and Clan says, how come the government did not include doctors, i.e. GPs and their staff, in the €1,000 COVID pandemic bonus uh, payment for frontline staff. Yeah, and they didn't. They came out and said no, the, the GPs and the practice nurses were not going to be included. And I know GPs themselves said they were very much at the front line of that work. And Micah says, Patricia, we all know how desperate the shortage of GPs are, especially in rural Ireland. But I would suggest that we have some extraordinary pharmacists who can tell you everything that is inside in any given tablet. And I would propose that they should be given some extra free training, which would, would allow them to help our struggling uh, GPs. The excellent qualities of today's pharmacists has never been fully explored. And you are right. And if you ever go into any pharmacist and looking for advice, they are just an absolute mine of information. And they certainly have stepped up when it came to uh, vaccination. So, yes, that is another way of looking at trying to help, certainly trying to help the GPs at the moment who really are uh, struggling. And then I spoke with the, the lovely Linda Kenny, who was talking about better maternity care. And she was they've started that campaign to try to lift the restrictions around maternity hospital and maternity units and how difficult it can be 
for some mums-to-be who are going into some of these appointments and their partners are sitting out in a car in the car park not allowed in and, and if whether it's and even if it's good news you know you'd want to share that with your partner but particularly when it's bad news when something goes wrong and you know suddenly this pregnant woman has been faced with this news while her husband is outside or maybe not even outside because she went to the appointment on her own and there's been some horrendous stories of what has happened during the pandemic for uh, pregnant women and that better maternity uh, care campaign uh, started up to try and get some of those restrictions and they have managed they have managed to get some of the restrictions moot but unfortunately many of them are still remaining in place and listening to Linda will remain in place until at least the end of February and hopefully that will see the back of them. Lizzo was listening to Linda talking about partners being with their wives and girlfriends as, as they're giving uh, birth. This says, hang on now a second. Until recently men weren't allowed in until baby was uh, born. Um, and I don't know if you're talking about long ago when men didn't go into the maternity unit. Are you talking about since the pandemic, Liz? I'm a bit confused. But because of that campaign that Linda headed up, they did manage to get some changes and some of the restrictions moved. But they want more of them. And that's why they were in that meeting yesterday, hoping that more of them would be removed. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Now, Again, reading in the papers, and this I was this shocked me and uh, so disappointed by by this, and it angered me as well. It's another online seminar on how to end gender based violence was interrupted by a cyber flasher showing images of a naked man and it's the second incident of its kind in the last fortnight. It was a Zoom seminar. It was being chaired by People Before Profit Councillor Antoinette Wallace and it was being addressed by the Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, the wonderful Nolene Blackwell who we've spoken with on this uh, programme and also the Director of the National Women's Council again who we've spoken with, Orla uh, O'Connor when it was hijacked on Thursday night and of course that follows the recent online vigil in memory of Ashley Murphy during which an anonymous male appeared to masturbate on screen and that happened here in West Cork. But Councillor Wallace said this week's intrusion may have been linked to other disruptions of other online events. She said one guy started blaring loud music another started screeching and then a man decided it was fine and proper to expose himself to all of those who were on the Zoom call. Crude messages were also sent onto the platform during the meeting and she questioned why people do such things on an online platform and she made the point it's unlikely that they do it in the real world. They wouldn't come out and stand before a woman and say any of the things that they were saying online. But she did stress that the interruption failed to disrupt the meeting. Well done to the women. She said after these men came on, the meeting became, she said, even more determined. Councillor Wallace says she has reported the incident to to Zoom, but she hasn't reported it to the Gardaí. And I think she should be reporting it uh, to the Gardaí because in relation to the hijacking of the online vigil for Ashleen. Murphy, as we spoke about on this programme last Thursday, Gardaí in West Cork are continuing to investigate that uh, incident and the Gardaí in West Cork on this programme last Thursday were asking anyone that was on that particular uh, vigil 
to online who had witnessed what had happened to make contact with them and it seems that several complaints were received not just from here in West Cork but from all over the country because obviously if it's online people don't have to just be in the uh, area and the West Cork Protective Services Unit they are leading up the investigation but this latest one now that happened on Tuesday Nolene Blackwell of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre said this week's incident was designed to create a nuisance and it was designed to create a disruption but she stressed the attempt failed. She said the event was a very important discussion around the lack of domestic violence refuges in Ireland as well as the broader topic of violence against uh, women and of course remember there are nine counties in this country that still do not have a refuge for women and children or a safe place for women and children to go who are escaping domestic uh, violence and on, on Monday, it was only Monday of this week that the Gardaí revealed they have responded to more than 48,400 domestic abuse incidents in 2021 and that was a 10% increase on uh, 2020 so certainly there has been an increase in domestic violence because of the uh, pandemic but shame on whoever decided and thought it was okay to expose themselves or to do anything to try to break up and to interrupt those Zoom uh, meetings utterly, utterly shameful Oh 818-103-103 John Paul taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp 0862-103-103 C103 Jobs The office administrator is wanted for an accountancy practice that's in Bandham CVs please to info at lloydbowmaker.com Labourers and ground workers are wanted for a Tarmacadam crew to work in the Bandon area 87 1201022 or you can email rcmtarmac at gmail.com Qualified plumber and apprentice required for Carrigal Line. CVs please to info at robertmcgarryplumbing.com and community employment schemes in the Ferrans area are uh, have, they've got vacancies for a receptionist a facilitator and a kitchen assistant CVs to see daily at Convera.ie. You'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This week also, Fianna Gael councillor Eileen Lynch submitted a motion on gender violence at a full meeting of Cork County Council and Eileen now joins me. Good morning to you, Eileen. Good morning, Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, while submitting your motion, you said, as a young woman, I'm sick of it. Explain to us what you're sick of, Eileen. I'm sick of, I suppose, the difficulties that you face as a woman in society. I'm sick of the fact that, you know, there's certain places you can't go, that you can be judged for what you wear, that people speak to you different to, you know, male colleagues or male counterparts. And I suppose the way in which you're spoken to is, one of the more minor things but that's you know that's fundamentally where it all starts and I think it is you know I, I raise this motion on foot of the tragic incident regarding Ashley Murphy in Tullamore but you know this this is what young women have to do we're, we're treated that you know you, you have to be safe you have to protect yourself don't put yourself in dangerous situations and that kind of education just isn't being taught to our male equivalents 
I suppose, yeah, I'm, I'm sick of being dictated yeah. to in certain ways. And I suppose this just brought all of that to the fore. Well, well put. And do you think men don't seem to to get it, don't seem to realise that they can at any time of the day or night decide, I'm going to go out for a walk, I'm going to go out for a jog. They don't have to stop and think, where am I going? Is it going to be lit? Is it going to be safe? Do you think sometimes men are just not aware of how difficult it can be for women today? I really think that they're not. Um, and I think, you know, that that's nothing on purpose or anything. But I've I've actually been surprised the past kind of week or two weeks having this conversation with, uh, you know, different males between colleagues and friends and family. And so many men are, by, you know, they're surprised by what I say and they're surprised by the outpouring, I suppose, since Ashton because they're genuinely going, I didn't realise that you were that... I don't know, I'm not even scared, but vulnerable and had to think that much about before you do things. In particular, you know, one thing that has been referenced a lot is the holding your keys whilst you're walking, yeah. you're going to your car, if it's dark, just, you know, in case. And so many men have said to me, um, I, I didn't know that was a thing. And, you know, look, that's not their fault, but we need to open the narrative and the dialogue and discuss this. Because the thing is, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, it's all men's fault. It's not. It's not all men, but it is all women. And I think that's so true. It's that's one of those a, that's that a great that's been thrown around, and yeah. it's, it's uh, so true. Yeah, that's a, 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 a great phrase. Uh, because, yeah, and I know when I've been talking to men and, and it's the one, because of this tragic incident with uh, Ashen, it's the one thing it is starting the conversation. But I've been talking with uh, men and particularly on that, if a man is out walking, you know, anywhere, day or night, and there is a, a female on their own ahead of them and they may notice, you know, somebody glancing over their shoulder. For the man to cross the road, go on to the other side, it has tendency that we, the women, uh, do it but for men to step up and say okay to make that woman feel a little bit more comfortable and that I'm not in any way threatening to her I'll cross over it's a simple thing but it's something men can do yeah you know it's it's all simple things because you know as I said it's, it's about opening that dialogue on it because I do genuinely think that the majority of men didn't realise how unsafe women felt because again I've seen from a lot of my female friends that they are that bit more hesitant now about going for a walk or going for a run on their own. And, you know, I've had friends say to me, oh, my boyfriend's gone back soccer training now this week, so I'm not going to go for a walk until he's around. This kind of thing mm-hmm. that, again, people just don't think of. And it's it's small, but it's it's there. And I suppose the incident in Tullamore really, really reinforced that for people. Do you believe gender-based violence is on the increase or was it always there? I think it was always there, but I think particularly in the past 18 months due to COVID, that there has definitely been an increase. I suppose particularly in relation to domestic violence in the homes, and I suppose through my role as a counsellor, I have dealt with some women in awful situations over the past 18 to 24 months, and my colleagues would say the same thing because I suppose it was such an unprecedented time. People were spending more time together that they weren't used to, and people had no outlet. So I, I do think it is potentially on the increase, but equally it has always been there. But I think the important thing now is that people are talking about it. Mm. And I would just like to commend you on the work that you've been doing in C103 and Page 6 FM generally. But that's what's so important. It is just to call it out and to talk about it. Um, because I think too often, you know, the attitude is that's, that's nothing to do with me. That's not my problem. That's their issue. I don't want to interfere in someone else's business. But the fact of the matter is this is a problem that affects us all because it's a societal problem. 
Yeah, and I mentioned actually only a couple of minutes ago that the the figures that were out from the Gardaí, they released them on a Monday showing the increase in the number of cases of domestic abuse incidents that they responded to. It was There was an increase of 10% in 2021 over 2020. And what struck me about those figures, because they were very high figures, was they're just the ones that the Gardaí responded to because we know that the ones that they respond to are only the tip of the iceberg. Well, that's the thing. And I, you know, again, I think it's our duty as a society because this is something we all need to work on regardless of your role. And men and women need to work on this together, um, you know, to put the supports in place and to even, you know, for women, I suppose, that are stuck in those kind of domestic violence based situations. They don't always know where to go. They don't always know where to get the support, what support's available, what refuges are available. And again, we just need to publicise these things. What reaction did you get to your motion this week, Eileen? Um, It's been very positive. Um, I I was really delighted. I mean, in the chamber, I got cross-party support. um, And I would say in terms of the speakers on it, it was probably 50-50 in terms of men and women. Um, Councillor Coughlin, Gillian Coughlin, the mayor, was incredibly supportive. And I'd spoken to her prior to raising the motion because... um, during my term as a councillor so far, I haven't seen a social issue-based campaign come from a council meeting, so I wasn't really sure how we can put it in place. Um, but the mayor has been very supportive, and the chief executive, Tim Lucy, at our meeting on Monday, was also very supportive. And, you know, he's pointed out, we've done campaigns with schools, such as Teen Talk, or, you know, Litter Awareness Campaign, or what the county council does. So why can't we do something like this? Absolutely. Because it does fundamentally come back to education and respect. Yeah, and we know that the government, they're due to unveil this national uh, strategy and that's uh, coming, I think, around the the, the start of of March. But you believe the council, you can be doing your own thing as well. Well, I think so, because um, like I've spoken to Minister McEntee about the national framework, which is due to be published in the next few weeks. um, And I'm still not sure as to what role local authorities will have in that. And you know what, this is an issue that we can get moving on now. And that was very much the feeling in the chamber on Monday. And as I said, you know, I, I pointed out Monday in terms of the the larger issue, I suppose, legislative review of sentencing, you know, that's something that'll probably be looked at. And then as I said, you do have the national framework. But, you know, our role as legisl- legislators, as councillors, is incredibly limited. Whereas this kind of a campaign, an awareness campaign, this is something practical that we can do. Because again, personally, I think it, there's so many platitudes and words about this kind of thing, but I want to see action. Mm. So I suppose that's why I brought forward the well, motion. Yeah, and I know last week I spoke with Professor Louise Crowley of UCC's School of Law and she heads up this bystander um, this bystander intervention programme at, at UCC and it was just heartwarming to hear from her that since Ashleen's tragic murder she uh, there's been an increase in people stepping forward in UCC to say that they, they want to take part in this bystander intervention programme and she's rolling it out now into secondary, into secondary schools. I know Davis College in Mallow are one of the schools to take part but this is something we should see in all uh, secondary with schools because education is vital, isn't it? Education is so important, and I think it's at that age, um, in I hate to say it, young, young men in particular, you start to see objectification of women, mm. and for me, that that's where this gender issue starts. That you know that they don't regard them as equal, or they're not treated as equal. Again, I would like to specify, I'm, I'm not saying all young men are anything like that, 
Um, but it would seem to me that it is at that age that, like, the objectification starts. And, you know, that's kind of, I suppose, the fundamental level of it, and it graduates then from that. So I think the role that's played by secondary schools in particular is vital. And I'm not particularly sure that the current, say, CSP or SPHE courses as they are cover in sufficient detail. Yeah. And of course, change is now needed, um, Eileen, so that we can protect the next generation of young girls and, and women so that perhaps wouldn't it be great that they'd never be exposed to gender based violence? Well, I would hope so, because I think it is it's our duty um, as, as citizens, as part of society to try and change that narrative and indeed to make it a safer and more equal society. Because, again, it does come back a little bit to equality and just fairness and um, that, you know, you're not regarded differently based on your gender, which okay. is part of a broader issue. But, you know, un- unless we can achieve that kind of equality, we're not going to be able to offer a safe and more secure future to the upcoming generation of young women. Okay, listen, well done on, on introducing that motion to Cork County Council and we thank you for taking time to join us today. Thanks so much for joining Good morning to you. Bye bye, bye bye. That is uh, Fine Gael Councillor Eileen uh, Lynch. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. For this week's Garda 5, we are going to Fomoy Garda Station, where we are joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. And, and you, well, you're very welcome and good to report that we don't have any burglaries to report on in the last week in the Cork North uh, Division. But internet fraud on the increase, John. Uh, same, same as we finished, unfortunately, 2021 uh, with that story. And we, we're already three weeks into 2022 and it's the same. Um, that, there, uh, that, that particular category of crime is quite noticeably um, on the increase. And as well as that, there's different um, there's different variations of the frauds being used to convince people. Um, I'll just take two of them there, for instance. Uh, one occurred up in Mallow, where uh, they convinced the caller that they were air tech support, and that their internet quality was down, and that they if they they talked them through anyway how to install a quick scan app on their phone, and they also informed the injured party that they were now. Uh, to a refund as a result of the internet quality being down. They talked them through how to install Revolut, the online bank app, on their phone. They, and they downloaded the app, they set it up, and they, uh, with the quick scan app anyway, it turned out that they used this Revolut account that they tr- opened on their phone to transfer money from their own bank account into this Revolut account. Altogether, probably in the region of 2000. Whoa. Now, a variation of that was used um, a day or two later below Nyal. Again, they they claimed to be from AR customer services and they told the uh, injured party in this case that they were due a modem upgrade and that uh, there was going to be a return of fees. They requested their bank account details, which unfortunately were provided, they requested a copy of their driving license. And for them, now I don't know why this, to download the Microsoft Teams app uh, on their phone as well. But 
using the copy of the driving licence provided by the injured party and their bank account details, they again set up a Revolut bank account uh, and, and transferred probably in the region of 4000 out of their account. So, uh, I mean, short and simple, you know, if you receive a call from uh, somebody claiming to be claiming to be from air or whoever, you, you know, and they're going going into dealing with your bank account details or uh, they're telling you to install something on your phone or on your computer, just terminate the call straight away. Yeah, you, know? you see, and I, and I think that what the fraudsters have now realised, if they tell somebody, oh, you are entitled to a refund and the only way you can get this refund is to give me your bank account details. They've copped on that people seem to get sucked in by that. Correct. Yeah, there's no doubt people are getting have got sucked in by that in the past. You know, um, we, we, we saw there, uh, say, a couple of years ago, with the, um, and this was happening on, on the computer, you were getting an email purporting to be from the revenue commissioners, and you were due a refund, and it was always an uneven amount, four, 412 euros, 11 cents or something. Mm. You know, to make so again, uh, this is probably, you know, no doubt how they're sucking them in, but they're able to talk people through how to set up a Revolut account on their phone, which they never had previously. That's a new one. That's, and I mean, Revolut is fantastic uh, service uh, for, and lots of people use uh, Revolut. But it's, this is new now, isn't it, that the fraudsters are now using Revolut? Absolutely. You know, that they're they're talking people through how to put it on the phone. You know, no, I mean, it was, if you want to put an app on the phone, let it be an app that you want to put in. Not somebody ringing you telling you to put it on. You know, and, and for people just to be very, very wary of taking, uh, of taking phone calls. And sometimes, uh, you know, I have in the past maybe taken a call uh, from, from, from my credit card company advising me of, yeah, we have this new facility, would you use it? You know, and the next thing, suddenly I'm the same thing. They're asking for your, uh, you, you know, for your secure codes. And that, you know, and I said, you know, if you're ringing me, you know them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, don't, don't, uh, so terminate the calls, terminate the calls straight away. And, no. and if at any stage you think that it is, you know, genuinely your bank or whoever it is, is, is contacting you, just hang up and then ring that person back on a number that you know is linked to that bank or whatever organisation you need to contact. Exactly. And I suppose maybe as well they're thriving on the fact that getting through to a person, uh, you know, in a genuine bank can be very difficult yeah, anymore. Yeah. You know, and and you know what? Hang up. If they want you, they can write to you. You know. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody else is sending in, in a text saying there's another new scam uh, doing the round. Somebody uh, purporting to be from the HSE and they're offering you, they're looking for your bank details to give you a, to give you a refund stating you were overcharged on a recent hospital visit. It is a scam. I mean, anyone who looks for your bank account details, just do not. Yeah. And particularly an unsolicited call. Correct. And, and I mean, the alarm, and, and like, they are going to get somebody who, wa- who had been in hospital. Yeah, the chances. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, and that's, that's what, they're, what they're banking on. Yeah. So, I, I mean, people, you know, start 22 with that in mind. If you don't know the caller, you don't know what they're on, just hang up straight away. You know, um, and uh, once they get into asking for bank account details or something, yeah, I mean, the alarm bells really need to be ringing, you know. And, um, I, and I know from, from oh, just anecdotally here from us on the radio station, from people calling and, and texting us, like that listener just did there with the HSE yeah. one. Since the start of the new year, has there been an increase in them? So, uh, 
So definitely, you you know, they're back again, you know. I, I, there was never, I suppose I can answer it by saying there was never a decrease in them, you know. Um, it used to be grown up, uh, growing exponentially over the last couple of years. And, uh, like, people really have to start treating. Remember, they're not just holding a phone in their hand anymore. You know, you're holding a mini computer. You know, mm-hmm. your smartphone is, is, is a computer. You know, whether you're, it's your desktop, whether, whether it's your iPad, whether it's your phone, you know, any uh, unsolicited emails or anything like that, you, you know, you have to treat the virtual world as your other front door. You know, it's not, the, it's just not the fraudulent caller calling to your physical front door on the street or in a, an estate anymore. You know, they're calling in, in, they could be anywhere in the world and they're able to man, manipulate you, you know, by, by talking you through. It's like a good salesperson that can sell you anything, you know. I mean, they're literally doing the same. And this is the one, if anybody gets gets this, it's a, you, you know straight away it's a computer-generated uh, voice, but unfortunately people are getting sucked in by it. We got this to our work call uh, yesterday and John Paul recorded it. The legal charge is pressed again your name and will lead to your PPS number suspension. Your case ID number is CV1165202. For more information on your case and to speak to the Revenue Commissioner, press 1. I and that's the one. press 1 for more information. That was the one purporting to be from the Revenue uh, Commissioners. Yeah. But you can easily hear that that's a computer-generated voice. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, I mean, that's not, that's not how the Revenue Commissioner is going to be contacting, contacting you anyway. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you also want to give advice on buying cars, John. Yeah, you, you can see there, Patricia, the price of second-hand cars has grown very much. I mean, a couple of reasons due to Brexit as one. And also the fact that COVID reduced the uh, new cars coming in. Uh, no, I think that backlog is beginning to clearing. As a consequence, then, there was less second-hand cars and garages we bought. But, you know, for people to remember that for most people, the second most expensive item that they will buy after their house is their car, you know. And just to be very, very cautious of, of, of buying on websites or buying on, on Facebook. Like, buying privately is very often no more than a gentleman's agreement. You know, okay. and it can end up in dispute in court afterwards. And it's, of course, well, it, it's what one said and what the other said, you know. Um, so if trouble arises, you've no one to go to. At least, you know, you go to a garage, you know, you're going to get that six-month warranty. Um, and, you, you know, that it's the guarantee factor involved. You know, it's the peace of mind should anything uh, prove to be wrong afterwards. And for people to be, uh, not many cars are coming in kind of abroad, from the UK at the moment and like private purchases are potential minefields you need to know what you're looking at you need to know um, are the legal documents readily available and if somebody says oh I don't have it I don't have it at the moment you know why not you know are you satisfied that there's no outstanding finance claims against the the, the car has it been has it been imported has the VRT been paid um, but very specifically you need to check and you need a mechanic or somebody to check is the VIN number on the car, the vehicle identification number. It's it's in a number of places on the car. And uh, you, with the potential shortage of cars here, you know, there is the potential for uh, criminals to uh, get cars ringed, uh, bring them in, in, in from abroad. Um, uh, when I say ring a car, I mean uh, substitute the, the VIN number of, of the car, uh, of a genuine car, uh, have that stamped onto the chassis of um, of a car that has been brought in 
from abroad that has been stolen abroad. So for people, you know, has the car ever been crashed? Service records are they available? So people just need to have a process of doing due, due, due diligence. They're not just meeting somebody in a car park up the country and it turns out afterwards maybe there isn't even uh, CCTV inside the car park and handing over an amount of cash for the car. So, uh, you know, I'd urge people, you know, be cautious. You know, it's a lot easier to be cautious uh, you know, rather than trying to address the issue afterwards. And as you say, cars are not cheap items, particularly at the moment they're not. Abs- absolutely, yeah. So look, it's a big purchase, and particularly, you know, for a lot of young people starting out, uh, you know, just make sure that they do their due diligence, that they're not buying a problem uh, that that could that could lose them a lot of money afterwards. Okay, somebody's saying, um, Sergeant John Kelly mentioned outstanding finance on a car. If you bought a car and there was outstanding finance, would you as the new owner be responsible? Well, that's something something you'd want to check with, uh, say, with a a solicitor. But, uh, yeah, you could have a a problem. You could potentially have a problem. Um, There is, I know with, um, there are a number of organisations where you can do a kind of a, uh, a check beforehand uh, on on the car. Yeah, the, I, yeah, so the car check ones there and for a fee, well worth doing because it'll... Yeah, it'll definitely it, with the you can do it anyway. Yeah, you know? and you can check to make sure that there isn't outstanding finance, but you can also check to make sure that it wasn't a stolen car. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and, yeah. and a stolen car, that's what I meant by a car then that can be ringed afterwards, that uh, a new uh, vehicle... Uh, number identification number can be stamped on it. I'm not talking about the. Uh, I'm not talking about the uh, identification mark, the number plates on the car. I'm talking about the VIN number. Okay. Completely separate in the number of places on any vehicle. So the best thing you can do is, if you need a new car, go to a local garage. Absolutely, they're, they're the ones to go to okay. because I mean, you know uh, who your friend bought off. Uh, you, you know who was a good. You know the ones that with a good name in the business. You know, go to them. They're the ones you can come back to for anything afterwards. Yeah, and if anything goes wrong there, just are hopefully just around the corner from you. All right, uh, John, as always a pleasure. Thank you for that. Thank and you for uh, sure. thanks Thank uh, for joining us. That is uh, Sergeant John Kelly, who is based at Fomoy Agartha Station. Somebody said there are very silly people out there. If they would download anything onto their phone, do they not listen to all of the advice? But as... Sergeant John Kelly said some of these scam artists are really good sales people and they sound very, very convincing and very, very professional. Geraldine says, Patricia, I got a phone call from an 086 number saying my Amazon account was in arrears. Not true, says uh, Geraldine. Then I got an email with an attachment, which, by the way, I didn't open. I blocked the number and I permanently deleted the email. But I'm wondering, how did they get my email and how did they get my telephone number? Listen, there are a variety of ways that these scam artists Artists can get phone numbers and can get emails. One of the easiest way with emails is a tactic that scammers uh, use. They're called email harvesting. They instruct a bot to scour the internet and they find any email address using the at symbol. And harvest this email harvesting, within seconds, they can have literally thousands upon thousands of emails. It's one of the easiest ones. Uh, once you email anyone, your email address is out there in the uh, in the ether somewhere and they can be on email harvesting. A very easy one uh, to do. And one of the most common ways for scammers to get phone numbers is through the many data breaches. And God knows 
there's been enough data breaches in this uh, country but they also because they're computer generated they, the automate, they automated calls is how they target people and they're just generating numbers all of the time and they will eventually hit on it being a real number so there's, lo- there's, there's absolutely loads of ways that these scam artists remember they are really good at what they do it's the point I always make why they don't use the intelligence level that they've come up with to to do all of these scams where they don't use that intelligence level for good it never ceases to amaze me OK we need to take a break we have news at 12 on the way 0818103103 Jane Pickett our resident vet will join us in the next hour and we're also going to be talking about some people are getting text messages these are genuine text messages to do with a fourth booster We'll talk about that and more in the next hour. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. John in Yall has contacted the programme. Good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, now, you're one of those, and I don't know how many people this has happened to, who received a text message to get your booster, but you already had your booster. Tell me what happened. Yeah, I got last week, I got a text message telling me that my, my name, my age, that I should, um, that I was now eligible for a booster shot, contact the HSC of my doctor. I have had my booster shot, and I assumed incorrectly, that that message was incorrect. You know, that was just a mistake. mistake. So, two other members of my family, when I was speaking to people, they also said that they'd got it. And uh, I said, must check it out. So I checked it out with the HSC last Monday and they said, yeah, you were entitled to it. Oh, you are, because I have an underlying condition. And they said, yeah, that is true. And I just mentioned to the person that I was speaking to on the line, I was a long time trying to get on to the person, and they just waffled off a bit of, you know, oh, we'll do this and we'll do that. But I just thought it was, it was kind of vague, you know. Not a lot of people know that we were supposed to get another one. And I, I was wondering, like, was other people thinking that way and just said, ah, well, sure, that's a mistake, we carry on. And that's why I contacted you. And, and, I contacted did, you, I got another text last evening. Did you? <laughs> so this is your this is your fourth shot. That's te- right. Te- technically, okay. And uh, did you get it yet? Are you due to get it? No, no. The doctor gave it to me this week. So your your own GP is able to give yeah, it to you. That's right. Yeah. She she was give, she had a clinic today, but she didn't have enough. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you contacted us because I had heard this about, I think it was last, maybe it was last weekend, I had heard, and I'm I'm open to correction, but I think it might have been Paul Reid mentioned it, but it was somebody from the HSC speaking on one of the national radio stations mentioned that there would be this fourth booster and it's for people with a weakened immune system, so people with certain conditions. Now, they didn't expand on what were the conditions or how many people. So I was assuming that they would be like, there has been with previous campaigns that they'd run advertising and they'd start telling people but I haven't heard a dicky bird about it until you contacted the programme and I think you're right I think there are probably a number of other people who are because of a weakened immune system eligible for a fourth vaccine are getting this text message and thinking oh that's a mistake because I already have my one and they're ignoring it Yeah I agree totally with you and if you I wouldn't have got my second booster anyway. Oh, my second in, in, 
um, vaccination, if you remember. <laughs> but, uh, we're, we're, I, I remember having a lovely phone call with you and you were on your way in the car. That's, that was the second. That was the second phone call. The first one was that I wasn't. I wasn't supposed to get it, and then you contacted somebody, and in the HSC. somebody contacted yeah. somebody, <laughs> and then I was in a car and I was up to, to get it. And you, and you managed. And you managed to get it. So, but just you, you, you just want to put it out there to people because the text message came officially on the HSC link, didn't it? It was with your other. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, exactly the same as the one I got previous because I, I, I just have. You know, I don't get too many text messages and pages eating that. And the last one, my, my first uh, booster, it's exactly the same text as I got last Thursday and, and, and again yesterday. Yeah, maybe <laughs> so, they need to put the word forth. Yeah, sure. Our extra I, I, I said, additional I booster. To, sorry, I, I said it to the person, the bloke that I was speaking to, but I rang up the HSE on Monday. I said, maybe you could tell somebody, but... He obviously wasn't listening to me because he just kept reading off his script and, you know, can I do any more for you? And I I was kind of thinking, yeah, you could tell other people that to get us. <laughs> yeah, because we, we then got onto the HSE and they came back and said the HSE would like like to remind all those. <laughs> That's, that makes me laugh because I'm thinking you haven't told them in the first place. To remind all those with a weakened immune system aged 16 or over that they can avail of their booster dose at least three months after their additional booster vaccination uh, dose and it's in line with NIAC. It was a recommendation uh, for NIAC because they're saying having a weakened immune system puts you at higher risk of serious illness if you got uh, COVID-19. And have you managed to avoid COVID-19? I have, thank God. Yeah. I have indeed. Very lucky. It's like dodging a bullet, isn't it? So many people it seem to <laughs> seem to have had it. And a right. lot of people have it, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, an awful lot of people. Well, I think it's very different this year even to last year. Last year, we were trying to, you were trying to think of anyone you knew that had it. Now everybody yeah. knows somebody and everybody has a family yeah. member who's, yeah. who's had it for sure. OK, stay safe and go into your doctor and get your fourth I, booster. I'll do that. But tell people not to take any chances that it, it is genuine. Check it out. Check it out. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Thanks for that, John. Uh, bye-bye. And because I suppose something we've been talking with with Sergeant John Kelly, because there's so many scam calls and texts doing the rounds, there is the danger that there will be some people who will have, will think, oh, that's a scam or that's, as John thought, that's just a mistake. They've sent it out and I already have one. So if you get one, you've already had your booster, particularly if you've got a weakened immune system, any kind of an underlying uh, condition. I can't, as I say, I I can't get any detail as to what group of people, like, for example, they're not giving it, I, I don't know, are they giving it to all people over a certain age, for for example? But it was a NIAC recommendation that a fourth, a second booster, but a fourth shot uh, will be needed, particularly for people with a weakened immune system. And I'm assuming because the last time we looked at vaccines, I remember mentioning to whatever expert we had on about what was happening in Israel, because Israel were the country that they're so far ahead of everybody else on vaccines. But they started giving a fourth shot to everybody in the country. I think it was over the age of 12. But I think NIAC here and I think the European Medicines Agency as well are not saying that that's what we need here because the Omicron, while there's a lot of Omicron around for most people, if you're unlucky enough to get it, most people are not that sick. But they can't take the risk with people with a weakened immune system or certain underlying conditions. So for those people, they are being offered an additional 
booster their fourth shot uh, technically is what it's going to be so if you do get a text like that just check in with your doctor to make sure that you uh, that it isn't a mistake and that you do actually uh, need it and I do think John is right I do think they need to do some kind of a publicity campaign I think around it for sure because a lot of people are just I, I th- because of that I think there will be a number of people who won't go forward for their shot 0818103103 Dan was on to say Patricia it is outrageous that you have to book a flight with Aer- that if you're booking a flight with Aer Lingus you have to pay 5 euro per person each way to sit together an absolute disgrace this should be highlighted says Dan that isn't new funny enough Dan that's been in that came in before the pandemic even uh, hit I think though how you can avoid paying it but then you can't guarantee you're going to sit together you you will get allocated a seat when you check in at the airport but most people have a preference that they want to pick where they want to see to, to sit and most people want to sit with a loved one whereas if you wait until check-in there is the possibility that they won't put you they won't seat you together and if you if you go on to Aer Lingus under their seats and cabins there's an they, they'll show you all the different prices for all of the different uh, seats. And I just, while the news was on, when Dan's text came in, I just did a quick, went on to Aer Lingus just to see. I mean, you can pay up to €17, Euro, it seems, if you want to get the seats at the front of the plane. You know, the people that are just want to run off the plane or if you want the ones with the, the extra leg room, they can be up to €17 Euro, and that's each way. And that'll be per person if you're travelling with a partner or travelling with uh, somebody else. But they have an array of uh, prices. But unfortunately, uh, Dan, while you're saying we should highlight it, it isn't anything new. And it's something Ryanair, I think, were probably the first to introduce that where they were charging you to pre-book your seats so that you could sit with your loved ones. And when you're travelling, of course you want to sit with the person that you are travelling with. And I think they've realised that. So they realise that they can make more money out of you. Listen, people now, as we head back, and and those of us who make the decisions that we are going to, because I've just booked our first overseas uh, trip and the nervousness of, of putting all the information in and make sure that it was all uh, right it is definitely gone more expensive uh, to travel and I think that's the way it's going to be I don't know for how long but airlines have lost so much money they're certainly going to start trying to recoup some of the money that they have uh, lost and who will pay for it of course it's going to be the customer but Dan just wants to make that aware, make, raise that as an awareness to other people if you are booking with Aer Lingus and you want to pre-book your seats to to decide where you want to sit on the plane there are charges for it. Now there's been a number of significant changes that are to be made in relation to traffic this week. It's part of the ongoing Dunkettle Interchange Upgrade project and we have been talking about it and Barry has been mentioning it on the news. Uh, Ken Parrott from our street fleet uh, joins me. Uh, Good afternoon to you Ken. Good afternoon. I had to check the watch when you say good afternoon, but it is. Yeah, it is afternoon. It is afternoon. Now, the, the preparatory works uh, mean that from 10 o'clock this morning, changes were to come in. And I know we were mentioning the Ibis slip road was to close temporarily from, from 10 a.m. this morning. What exactly has happened since 10 a.m. this morning? Well, since, since 10 a.m. this morning, they did close the Ibis slip road. But what people may not realise is that's not an Ibis hotel anymore. That's actually a Gale Skull. So that's going to cause problems in itself. That old site is Gale Skull. It's just going to so again, people dropping off and collecting in the mornings and in the evenings, that's going to cause a lot of problems in that area. Just keep
keep it in mind around school time if it's part of your regular route. Now then they said from 12 o'clock, which has just happened, I think, in about the last 10 minutes, they brought it down to one lane from traffic that's coming in from the Fermoy direction that's coming in to the Dunkettle roundabout. That's down just for a section. It's down to one lane and it's going to cause a lot of problems over the coming days and weeks. Now they will open the slip road on one of those bridges on Sunday, we're told. That will be open this coming Sunday and traffic will be diverted over there. But for now, until tomorrow morning, anyone using Dunkettle or using the Dublin road, the M8, travel towards Dunkettle from Glanmire, from Moy, which is down that direction. Expect lengthy tailbacks because it is going to be a problem. If you can get off it, I think you'd be much better off, especially for tomorrow morning. Even when you get into Rathcormac, try and go through Mogili and come in from, we'll say, the Middleton direction. It should save you a bit of journey time, but no harm if you can now. If you're using that route regularly, maybe just have a think about an alternative route to you which might get you to the city because I do expect some very long queues of traffic tomorrow morning especially and then leading into next week. It might ease off a bit once they open that slip road and once they open that bridge but we'll have to see how it goes and as it develops. And it's the two lanes into one lane. I know that was the one a number of listeners contacted us yesterday when they heard Barry mention it on the news. Uh, we're, we're really taken aback. That's the one that's really going to force a build-up of traffic. It really is. It's going to cause some major problems but it's, it's one of those things they just have to do. The Dunkettle app is brilliant because you can access the live cameras on your phone and you can see how it's going. There's six cameras in total. One of them looks right up the Dublin Road, one in towards the tunnel, one out to Cold Middleton and one in then towards Glanmire. There's two further back just by the Bloomfield Interchange. It gives you a good picture of how things are in the area but the one looking at the Dublin Road is very helpful and if you're on Twitter you could follow Dunkettle because in fairness to the guys they're pretty up to date and they're pretty on the money when it comes to giving people regular updates whether it's by way of how long the tailbacks are or what's going on stage by stage. And the new flyover, that, that was, I thought that was opening today, no? No, Sunday, I think. So it's Sunday, all right, okay. Will you be going yeah. for a drive on it on Sunday? Oh, 100%. Will you? <laughs> it's been a huge, I mean, it's, a, it's been a huge job and, and an ongoing job. Yeah, but it's one of those things that it's all, it's the, it's the, the epicentre of the problems when it comes to traffic. If Dunkettle is busy, the rest of the city is busy. But if Dunkettle is quiet, you know the traffic is quiet. Every morning, every evening, we're out looking at us. That's the one to watch. Every morning, about ten past, quarter past seven, you'll see that queue of traffic building up into the tunnel. And if there's the smallest bit of an accident, a smallest bit of an issue, it just backs up. In the evening, you can have it back from the Kinsale roundabout to the Dunkettle roundabout. And by the pounds, every time I said that, I would be a wealthy man. Mm. Do you expect delays this evening during rush hour traffic? I expect more in the morning because the way the way it goes usually is mornings is coming down the Dublin Road towards the Kettle, evenings is coming into the tunnel from the Man side, heading home. The same, it's the same flow of traffic going towards the Mitchell town. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen. Thank you for that, uh, Ken, and thanks for that update. No problem. Uh, good later. morning Bye. to you. Good afternoon. I started with afternoon. That is uh, Ken Parrott from the C103 Street uh, Fleet. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. I mentioned Aer Lingus and Dan taken aback, booking some flights and being charged five euro each way to book seats so that two people can sit together. Thinks it's outrageous. Somebody else says airlines in general are a disgrace at the moment says this uh, texter my sister had to book flights to come into Cork from England Uh, she had two days notice as she was coming for a funeral she was charged 300 euro each way Whoa, they always call that stretch of water between Ireland and England when it comes to flights the most expensive stretch in the world. But there was a bit of competition there at one stage and there was prices did come down. But 
I think, yeah, we're going to be seeing more and more of that. And that always happens if you can't give, if, and when something like a funeral happens, you don't get a lot of notice. And if you need to travel quickly, you will always pay more. But that does seem a little bit on the steep side. So €600 Euro to come from somewhere in the UK to Cork seems very expensive indeed. And there was somebody else on to us earlier asking about fuel uh, costs. Heidi says, Morning Patricia, I haven't heard anybody on your show complaining about fuel prices there are going through the roof. We are hoping to do a piece on fuel prices. We, hopefully we might I was going to say this week there's only a day left another week flying by. Uh, we, hopefully maybe we might get somebody from AA on uh, tomorrow because I saw the AA only this week talking about the price of fuel. You know they do their national, their surveys where they look at the cost of uh, fuel and fuel prices have gone up by a third. That's just in the past 12 months and we are now close to the highest level we have ever recorded for fuel in this uh, country. And with the latest price increases on fuel, it means Ireland now, and no one will be surprised to hear this, we are now one of the most expensive countries in the world for petrol and diesel. Prices are up an average of 32% since this time last year and obviously then the calls that constantly go out when we talk about petrol price increases come on government give everybody a break here because so much of every litre of petrol and diesel that we pay goes straight into the coffers of the government so they have the power they have it within their remit if they want to give motorists a little bit of a break they can do it now the average national price of petrol and Heidi I did mention this earlier in the week when that AA survey uh, came out they're saying for diesel about €1.70 per litre and for diesel about €1.60. Now that's a national average price because I know whenever I mention a price like that I'll have somebody straight away coming on saying €1.70 for petrol. I've just paid one seventy three, or I've just paid one sixty five. You'll always get variations and you'll get variations in towns. You'll get variations between garages that are supplied by the same uh, company and that frustrates people. And Conor Faulkner, who no longer works now with the AA, Conor Faulkner was always on about not having loyalty to your garage and most of us do. Most of us go to the same garage week in, week out to get our petrol and diesel and Conor Faulkner was always saying we shouldn't have loyalty. You should be wherever you're driving, you should be keeping an eye on garages as you pass. Be aware of how much petrol and diesel is and then if you pass a garage and you see that the petrol or the diesel price is lower than what you have been paying and you need to get half a fill or whatever it is, go in there. It is one way of uh, saving money. But yeah, we are now one of the most expensive countries in the world for petrol and diesel. And of course, that's having a knock-on effect. While it's having a knock-on effect in all of our wallets and our purses, every time we go to fill up, we're noticing how much extra it's costing to fill up the car. But it's also having a knock-on effect for transport companies because they have to pay 
these increased prices as well and everything in this country has to get delivered when the majority of it gets delivered by road and therefore transport companies are charging more so that can also explain why everything is going up I mean people are talking about every time they go to the supermarket there was a big one earlier this week on, and I don't know why it was but pasta for some reason has gone up in price and pasta is kind of one of those stables that people put into their shopping basket every week but if you're doing if you do a weekly shop you will notice I mean I don't know how many people keep an eye and track how much is how much you're paying for a sliced pan how much you pay for your milk or you know all of the staples but if you are one of those people who you are very much aware of prices and normally people that are very aware of prices are people unfortunately on low incomes and they have to be aware of prices if you have an awareness of how much you pay for individual items you will have noticed in recent weeks that everything is going up and that ties in with the problem that we have with our inflation is rising 0818 103 103 and somebody says Patricia that man in Carlo has been charged he was the the poor gentleman who died Paddy he was his nephew yeah I, I actually knew I'd heard from somebody who was his nephew but obviously we weren't saying anything until the man was charged he's a he's a 40 year old by the name of Declan uh, Hockney it looks like Hockney but there's an N at the end Hockney a 40 year old he was charged with two counts of deception as part of the guard investigation into the events that t- unfolded at the Carlo uh, post office last uh, Friday uh, he, he has been so two charges of deception so he hasn't been charged with and he brought his dead uncle's body into the post office and I heard just there on the news trying to get this gentleman Paddy who died trying to get his uh, pension and the pension was €240 Euro. how desperate would you be to actually take a man from his dead from not from his from his dead bed not even his deathbed take a man out dress him bring him out with somebody else to go to the post office to get 240 euro you would want to be really really desperate uh, would, would you not anyway he has now earlier this morning been uh, charged with two counts of uh, deception and he has been given he's not working he's been given free legal aid Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
the judge remanded the accused in custody to appear again in court next Wednesday. Somebody's saying when will that go to court? It'll be in court next uh, Wednesday. Such a sad, sad case all round. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Going to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. A kind of an unusual question has come in from June, who has a collie slash sheepdog. She describes the dog, really brilliant dog, gorgeous dog and all of that. But Jane had been thinking that that type of dog, a sheepdog, their natural instinct is to herd sheep and they're kind of working dogs. So she brought her dog along to a local farmer. The local farmer has agreed that the dog can go out with his sheepdog and herd the sheep. And she's wondering, is is that okay to allow a family pet to do that? Okay, this is a really interesting one. Um, so yes, uh, collies, sheepdogs, they do have kind of that natural instinct to herd. Um, they are incredibly intelligent. And in general, I would say they are on kind of, let's say, the, the tougher end of a family pet because they require so much mental stimulation just so that they feel fulfilled to, to keep them happy and to keep them mentally stimulated. So I think it's really interesting in this case. Um, clearly, our caller really cares about this little dog as a family pet and wants to make sure that they're, you know, able to use their brain in the way that nature intended. And I think that's fine. I think if the farmer has agreed to take on the dog, let's say, um, for intermittent, let's say, herding in a safe manner and he's used to controlling dogs, obviously, if he has his own farm dogs that would herd sheep, then that's probably something he's used to. Then I think that's fine. Um, what I will say is you probably need to exercise a degree of caution when you're walking your dog potentially around stock when you're not with the farmer. Because once dogs start to engage in that kind of natural herding behavior that is kind of instinctual to them, in particularly sheepdog collie breeds, it is something that, let's say, your dog won't know how to turn it on and to turn it off. So let's say you go for a walk in the hills and your dog is off the lead and it happens to be sheep. You can't expect your dog to have turned off that herding instinct and not to try and herd the sheep, um, even though that's not what you intend. So you need to probably be really extra mindful of that and extra careful. And I probably advise keeping your dog on a lead when you go into any areas where, where there might be stock. And, and I, this is across the board. This is not just, let's say, if it's engaged in kind of herding behavior to kind of fulfill its natural instincts. This is for every dog when they don't have perfect recall. This is for every dog around stock or farm animals. Because obviously, you know, farm animals, they have their own needs and they have their own fears. And a lot of the time, let's say, being around an uncontrolled dog can cause a lot of undue stress and can even cause some health issues. So it's really, really important to be mindful of that when you're walking in the countryside. Keep them on a lead, but particularly when they do engage in herding behavior. I think it's really nice for this dog that it'll get to have that mental stimulation. If, let's say, um, herding with the farmer um, with their permission is not um, a runner longer term. There are other ways that you can engage this little dog's brain in a natural way to get them to, to use the same skills that they would have as natural instincts. Um, it's different with every breed depending on what's intended for them. But if it's something we're really interested in exploring longer term, um, asking a veterinary behaviourist would be a really good thing to do. It's probably too long an answer to expand upon um, on, on a slot like this, but there are lots of skills that you can use and lots of interactive 
active play to engage the same parts of the brain. But I think just be extra mindful when you're out and about okay. your stock when you're not with a farmer. And you're right when you say, particularly those trained sheepdogs, they're so intelligent. When you ever watch, is it one mm. man and his dog? You know that programme? That, yes, yeah. That I've watched many times. It almost becomes addictive when you're watching it. It's incredible how those dogs can be trained mm. they are absolutely fascinating animals and i think like the the sheer intelligence and bond that they have with their handler is just you know an absolute beauty to behold they are really intelligent animals and, and that's great because you know they're very useful and they really enjoy using their brains in that way but it's just important that anytime you take on any breed of pet into your household whether it be a collie or something more sedate like a, a cavalier or a greyhound it's really important to understand as a breed what their needs are as a breed what they're pre-programmed to want um brain wise so that you know you can make sure it's the right choice for your environment so that you set yourself up for success as a family pet but also set yourself up for success with having a happy and fulfilled pet in your environment so really okay. important. well done okay lorraine has introduced a, a king another king charles into the household it's a six month old puppy because the older King Giles, King Giles is getting older and they know one day he's not going to be around so they decided to get a new pup. Uh, everything's going fine but Lorraine said the older King Charles always suffered with dental issues and they're trying to make sure that they don't make the same mistake with the younger pup because they never brushed the teeth of the older dog. Is it something that Jane recommends you do with a pup? Yes, I would actually. And you know, when you've got a young pup on your hands, everything that happens to them in the next several weeks to months, they will take as normal. So it's really important to socialize them well, to give them a variety of normal experiences that you anticipate that they'll have throughout their life. And one of those things can be toothbrushing. If you gently introduce toothbrushing to your puppy at this stage, they'll just accept that as normal. Um, it's what I would say is it's really, really important if you're going to be toothbrushing for your dog. Um, to do it as regularly as possible. I suppose in a perfect world, let's say every day, but look, that's not realistic for most of us. So as often as possible, a few times a week at least. The really important thing is not to use human toothpaste. So human toothpaste has fluoride in it. It's mint flavored. Dogs hate the t- taste of mint. So you're setting yourself up for a disaster there. But really importantly, they can have some ingredients in there as sweeteners um, to alter the taste for humans that can actually be toxic to pets. So you really need to get a pet safe toothpaste. And um, so that's usually available from from your vet. Have a talk to them about what one they'd recommend. With the toothbrush, it's important just to make sure you have, a, a let's say, a strong one <laughs> that um, will stand up to a little bit of wear and tear, particularly as it's, you know, you're getting your puppy used to things. I, I would normally recommend the, the dog safe ones because normally they're, they're designed for the job. But look, if finances are a concern, a normal adult toothbrush is OK. You just need to watch it very carefully to make sure that there's no kind of shedding of the fibres of the, the hair or any shedding of the plastic. What I would say is start simple. So the first things first is let your dog smell and maybe have a little lick at some of the toothpaste and make sure it's a nice tasty one. So your vet will be able to advise you on what to use and then slowly work up to, you know, using the little toothbrush just for a second or two and then giving them lots of positive reinforcement. They're the best boy or girl in the world. And, you know, just doing little two minute sessions to get them used to the sensation of brushing or touching the teeth with the toothbrush. Eventually, you'll be able to brush the full mouth and you'll probably have some dogs that line up to have it done because they like the taste of the toothpaste and they like the bonding experience. But you need to take it slow, be patient um, and just continue on with small sessions. But you're, you're right, Lorraine, you're right to do it at a young age. The the younger yeah. you get the dog used to, the better. Marie has been on saying, hi, Patricia, could you please ask Jane, is there a need to take a sneezing cat to the vet? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would do. And generally any change in your pet from the normal of what you'd expect day to day is a signal that they probably need a health assessment with a vet. It might be something simple, it might be something, something, nothing. They might just have a small little cold or flu and things might pass off. But with cats, there's a number of different causes of nasal discharge and sneezing. Some of them are very simple to sort. Some of them require attention um, and maybe some further investigation to get to the bottom of. But yeah, I would say this little this little cat could do with a visit to the vet. Okay, someone else is asking about bad breath in a five-year-old boxer dog. He's always had it. What would be causing it? Dental disease, um, it, yeah. I would wager. Bad breath in a dog or cat is never normal. Um, so you have to think about teeth like icebergs. So we only see, I'd say, you know, like, let's say 20 to 25% of the tooth above the root, above the gum line. There can be a lot of damage and disease and nasty teeth below the gum line there. If you're noticing bad breath from your dog, even if they've always had it, they may have always had a degree of dental disease. That's also possible. And um, it's generally something that worsens with age, but definitely bad breath is an indicator that you need to go to your vet for a dental assessment. Normally we'll have a look at the teeth in a conscious appointment and assess what they look like grossly to begin with. But a lot of the time, if there's an indication that there may be a deeper problem, or even if your vet sees a lot of tartar or calculus buildup on the teeth, they'll normally recommend um, a scale and polish initially under anesthesia to assess the teeth. And that allows us to also assess the gums themselves and below the gum line surface to see if there's any deeper problems they need dealing with. So bad breath is definitely a signal that you need a trip to the vet. Actually, somebody else just listening to Jane. I think she's answered my questions. <laughs> this listener, I've got a cat who the last two days has gone off for food and I noticed this morning she's drooling out of one side of her mouth. Could that be dental? It could be, yeah. So a drooling cat, it could be dental disease. The common things are common and dental is right up there. But drooling can sometimes be an indication of nausea, so feeling like you want to vomit as well. Um, so that, that would be a concern. And for a cat to go off its food as well, and cats have to be really feeling quite unwell before they'll start refusing food. So this little cat needs a, a trip to the vet, I think, more more urgently Yeah. Um, to to get to the bottom of any problem before it becomes serious. Yeah, and with, we always say that with uh, cats. Cats are mm. sick. No matter how sick they are, they'll try to eat. It's when they go off the food, you need to worry. It's a big problem. Yeah. Exactly, it's a big problem. They're they're you know they're pre-programmed to keep eating no matter what, so it takes quite quite a lot of um it, it takes it's some takes something quite serious to make them feel unwell enough that they'll just start refusing food. So that's definitely a big flashing red indicator that you need you need to get it seen to. Okay, listen, have a great week. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Thanks for that. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, which is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. We were talking about airfares going up and some people are starting to notice now if they're booking and the people travelling, coming to stay with them, just how expensive air travel has become. John in Bandon says, for anybody who is planning on travelling and maybe they want to rent a car in the UK, the price to rent a car has doubled. There's a shortage of cars in the UK. UK. So demand has led to the price increase. Also, airfares to the UK, John and Bandon says, has definitely increased. And I don't think I, I don't think we can even say it's just the UK. I think if you're planning on travelling anywhere, you're going to see an increase in airfares. And if there's a collision, this is Gardy McCoo who've been on to say there's a collision on the N22 Ballyvorney east of Lynch's Crossroads at the turn off for Kilnamarcher. It's near the Mons Bar. Road is closed as a result, and the emergency 
emergency services are on the scene. OK, thank you. That's from Gardaí in McCroom collision on the N22 Ballyvorney uh, east of Lynch's Crossroads. Avoid, I imagine. OK, that's where I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the night. Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.